0: All right, guys. Welcome back to the best hour of their day. I am here. I, I've actually been waiting for this podcast for a while. I'm here with John Briggs, owner of Insight Tax and uh, author of Profit First for Microgym. So for those of you who have been listening to this podcast, we have referenced the Profit First method, no shortage of times. And uh, John's book is going to release in January. And I've been working with his team for, man, at least two years, at least two yeah. years. So. I think three um, actually. Yeah, I think it's closer to three. So first and foremost, I know you are incredibly busy trying to close out the year and then move into tax season. So thanks for cutting out some time for me, brother.
1: Yeah, I'm super grateful to be here. Um, I think we'll be able to talk about some really fun stuff that will be of value to your listeners.
0: Yeah. And here, here's what you really want, guys. You want an accountant who wears a shirt that says hashtag IRS sucks. If you guys look into <laughs> the video version of that, that's John's shirt. Um And uh, a lot of stuff we've referenced in the show is is information that I've gotten from John. So we do have to put the disclaimer out here that we are not lawyers. We're not giving you tax advice. These are just general concepts and principles um, that we're going to dig into. And uh, we'll give you guys all the information to contact John and his team. Um, But I highly recommend it. Um, But uh, let's just dive right in, man, because this is a deep, dark subject that a lot of people like to avoid. And um, for those people that kind of don't know the profit first method, and we'll get into the the more specifics for gyms, can you kind of give like a broad brush kind of intro to that?
1: Yeah, totally. So to first understand it, we talk about the formula that everybody's aware of, even if they're not aware of it. Um, If you've ever seen your profit and loss statement, or you've ever looked at your tax return, they're all organized the same way. You have income at top. And then what's left over they call net income or taxable income. So this formula has been around since, I don't know, since Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. It's, it's established. What happens though is that from a behavioral standpoint, we focus on um, the wrong things with that equation. And so Mike McAllowitz created the system, first, and he said, we're just gonna, we're not gonna change this mathematically we're just gonna change our focus. And so now we're gonna take our revenue, we're gonna subtract out profit, a predetermined amount that we're gonna establish, and then what's left over is what we can use for our expenses. So that's kind of the overall general foundation. And then when you dig in, there's four, there's four principles um, that are really the core of the Profit First methodology. The first one is smaller plates. Um, And what I love about these four core principles is gym owners and coaches are basically cheating because they already understand this information from a nutritional standpoint. And we're just now translating it to financial health as opposed to physical health. So smaller plates, you consume less if you have smaller plates. The problem is as gym owners, we have one operating account. And whatever money is in there, we think it's available. But the problem is we've committed that money or some of it to other people. Some of that money, when our customers pay us, it's already committed to our coaches. It's already committed to our landlord. And so with smaller plates, what we're saying is let's take off, let's create some buckets of common scenario or common expenses um, or cash outflows, I should say, and let's put some money in those buckets because we already have commitments in those. So that's smaller plates. Um, removing or eating veg- eating veggies first is the second one, and it doesn't take rocket science to figure this thing out. If you eat the vegetables first, you have less room for the bad crap. Well, we have financial veggies as well, and know that sometimes the first time gym owners hear this, they can be caught off guard or starts to feel defensive. The truth is if you're the owner, you're the most important person in your organization and you need to be paid. I get that what you're doing is super noble and you're changing lives. You still deserve to get paid for it, as noble as your purpose is. And so paying yourself, that uh, that's the cash veggie, saving money for taxes, you're going to be profitable. Why else would you be in business if you don't plan to have a profit? You're gonna to have to pay some tax. Let's have money set aside for that. And then not only do you work in a business, you're also an owner, and you deserve a return on the investment of taking on that risk that your your coaches aren't taking on, and that's fine. But you deserve to get some distributions from that. And so that's a profit distribution. Those are the three cash veggies that we focus on. And we say, Pay that yourself first, then focus the rest on operating the business. Um, The third principle is remove temptations. I love Oreos. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. And if they're in my house, I consume them sleeves at a time. And so it's really stupid of me if I go to the grocery store to even buy that. I need to remove the temptation. When we think about these smaller buckets, some of them are gonna actually accumulate a very enticing bank balance because of the way we distribute them throughout the year. Well, that money is committed to something else. And so if you get in a bind and you don't have enough money to pay for your operating expenses, we don't want you to steal from yourself to cover the operating expenses. That doesn't fix the problem. And so with this principle of remove the temptation, we're saying let's make these out of sight, out of mind type of thing. And the last one is the 10-25 rhythm is what we call it. um, We're eating meals more frequently. Now I know in today's day and age, um, intermittent fasting is pretty popular. (laughs) (laughs) Look, eating smaller meals frequently throughout the day is still the methodology that works. Yeah. Um, And so um, we're saying, Let's do the same thing financially, because often the general, um, the general scenario we see is that the business owner goes the entire year and then it's, oh, it's tax time. I better get my bookkeeping done to file my taxes. That is not why you do your bookkeeping. And that's one large event. Instead we say, what would it look like if you sat down twice a month we call it the 1025 of them because we're suggesting the 10th and the 25th. What if you sat down every 15 days and looked at your transactions? Now, all of a sudden, you can be a lot more focused. Instead of just doing things for tax compliance, you're actually using your information to make good business decisions. It helps you identify trends in your cash flow, it helps you identify expenses that are stupid. Uh, it helps you identify even things that are productive and that you can push money into to help it even more productive. Uh, so those are the four principles. That's the basic overview um, fire hydrant version of profit first.
0: Yeah. So I, I generally like to describe this to people as like, it's a, it's a behavioral method, right? So like we all, we know that like basically money, food and fitness, they're all behavior based and we already and most of the part for the most part have trained ourselves in the nutrition aspect and the fitness aspect. But then unless we come from a background of finance or we just really like numbers, a lot of us, and again, myself included, and I'll tell my story here in just a second, will just ignore the books and then hopefully it will work itself out at the end of the year. Right. Yeah. So I uh I and I forgot to I forgot to mention John is part owner of a gym of a CrossFit affiliate. So that's another like reason that I, that I feel that he's so good at this is because he understands it. Like, just like you do as an affiliate owner and he works out on an affiliate. And like, so he gets it. Um, When I first contacted you, well, I contacted you guys. I was, I was paying like just the consulting fee first. Right. So I'd have a conversation with Mandy who I deal with mostly like once a quarter and I started working with her and I worked for her for about a year and she saved me a boatload of money just based on like rearranging what we were doing with 1099 and W2 and then corporate rent and stuff like that. And then when I finally made the switch to you guys for inside tax, at the end of the year, my old accountant gave me a tax bill. Right? He was like, all right, your taxes are done. Here's your bill. And the bill was sizable, right? And I lost my mind. And I am I fired him like the next day, I was like, Hey, dude, I don't need you to send me a tax bill. I need you to help me minimize my tax liability like the i r s can send me a bill like they're gonna do that anyway, bro. I do not need you to do that and it was like I, this was like three or four years ago, and the tax bill was like twenty five g's I mean it was big, and because I had not been doing this, I was not at all prepared to pay twenty five gs now, because I had read the book and because I had been talking to Mandy, I was like maybe 60 to 70% prepared, but I was still pissed off. So I switched over and then I've been working with you guys ever since. And it's been good because the other thing in this conversation, and I'm sure you know this too, John. So people have accountants. A lot of people have accountants and and they say, yeah, my accountant uh, he does in air quotes, does my books every month. And then at the end he's like, well, and then he'll get, and then he'll give me my books at the end of the year. So my question to them is always, Ask your accountant if you can get a PL or a balance sheet from the previous month and see how quickly they can get it back to you. Because a lot of them are not doing your books on a monthly basis. They're just letting it sit. They're collecting a fee from you monthly. And then at the end, they're just like, all right, we got to get your books together. And I'm like, well, what the hell were you doing all year? <laughs> like, so um, so I've been working with Inside Tax for like three years. Every month they send me like numerous reports, like comparative balance sheets, comparative PLs, PNLs. They give me. KPIs for all the stuff that we've predetermined. So every month I can look at that and I can be like, okay, things are trending up, they're, they're trending down, these expenses are high, incomes up. Um, that is what a good accountant should be doing, right? If you're not getting that from them every month, you need to ask, and if they can't give it to you, you need to get a new accountant. When I first talked to Mandy, it was super depressing because I read the profit first book and I like did the math myself. And then I sent it to her. I was like, is this right? And she said, yes, you have a 94% operating expense. I was like, all right. So we can only go up from here. (laughs) We can only go up from here. And I think at one point, like before we expanded a couple years ago, I think I went in roughly 12 to 18 months. I think I went from 94 to, I think I got it down to 49%. Now, we did two things, and they talk about that in the book, which is I'm trying to increase revenue and bring down expenses. That's so, right. Um, like, I can't recommend what you guys do enough, uh, but there are some things I want to dig into first. And, and so we talked about what is profit first. And then how many gyms do you do you know roughly how many gyms you guys work with now?
1: 287.
0: Okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Now, what is – so you've seen 287 people come into your – into your um stratosphere and then do most of them come in with the same issues?
1: Yeah, and that's actually active clients right now. Okay. So it's probably been closer to 350 over the years. Okay.
0: So do most of them come in and have the same issues or like are you starting to see better trends?
1: <laughs> no, there's definitely trends.
0: Um so what are those trends I, <laughs> that you see?
1: <laughs> I mean, uh it's funny though, I mean, you said 94% the gym I bought it to cuz So I was working out at the gym and seeing some of these trends. They didn't have, the only revenue they had was group training. They didn't offer personal training. They didn't offer nutrition, which from successful gyms I've seen, they have at least those three service offerings. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying there's a gym out there that can't just do training and be profitable. I'm not saying that at all, but just successfully the trend that we've seen anyway. So that was, I'm like, dude, you're not doing anything. I'm seeing these signs. I told the owner, I emailed the owner, him not even knowing who I was or my background. It's like, um, I kind of feel like you're going to go out of business. (laughs) 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 And if I were you, I would do these three things, uh, immediately. And instead of telling me like it, dude, stay in your lane. Like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. He actually invited me to lunch and said, yeah, actually dying here. Like, I'm funding this by myself. I've tried to sell it three times. I can't, like, I'm just, I don't know what to do. So he's like, do you want to be an owner? Uh, I'm like, sure, Here's this is what I was going with this. Rent expense and coach's expense, those two alone, 115% of the revenue when I bought in.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. So if that's you, if that's you everybody, you need to contact John immediately
1: that is a big problem. Um, and so yeah, uh, trends on the service offering is a big trend. You have, if you want to be successful, I'm telling you the financially fit gyms are doing more than just group training, uh, personal training and nutrition are the obvious two that flow and, uh, work really well in a gym setting. Um, you know, let's see. Other trends we see are rent expense and really when we see a rent expense, it's a problem. And just so you know, like basically 15 to 25% of your revenue, you, you want your rent expense to be in that range. If you can be lower, that's super awesome. But and if you're above 25%, it, it, it's gonna to be tough. Um, I know that because we are more than 25% and it's tough. But I found it. So we find the rent expense and then we correlate that and we ask questions because that's what accounting is. It gives us data that allows us to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. And so then it always becomes, how did you get into this mess? Yeah. Um, I, the story of the gym I bought into is very similar to many of these stories. We had 1,500 square feet. We were maxed out at 10 people in there. All the classes were crowded. So we moved spaces, and we moved to a 7,000 square foot facility. That's All a right, big jump. It's a big jump. It's a very big jump. Unless you have cash set aside, and you purposely are making a strategic jump, knowing that you actually have things worked out, and it's just a matter of time, and you're not going to put yourself in a financial burden, that type of jump is psychotic. Just because your class is full, I would argue, get two more people in there, starting other class times there's a demographic out there that might be interested at in a two o'clock class. They might be interested in an 11 a.m. class. You know, it's like maximize space first before going from a thousand dollars a month in rent to $5,000 a month in
0: rent. It's funny you bring that up because we expanded, I think to roughly two years ago, but I had been working with you guys already. So I had done all the math first and basically what we ended up kind of doing was, I had a bunch of other accounts set up and I didn't even have to take from owner pay or profit account. I was just basically took from like the marketing, continuing education equipment account to cover the additional rent. And then there were some issues there that I did on some bad math, but those were like, we could afford it. Like we were, we were running, I think upwards of like, we weren't, we've never hit 30% profit margin, but I think we were like 26. So I like, I had a buffer in there. To eat and you know a couple thousand dollars extra a month. Uh, but we needed it at that point because people were like falling out of the building every afternoon. And I was just like, okay, it's time, you know, and, and we had the ability to expand in place. So um, it's definitely something you should look into. And most people, I think you're right, go way too big.
1: Way too big, too fast. Yeah. Um so Brent, you gotta be aware of your space and if you're committed to it, because most people are releasing uh you <laughs> locked in man those lease agreements are brutal. Um, and that's not even a financial side thing, but you got to look at those lease agreements. Hey, the 500 bucks to have an attorney look at it and tell them what you're worried about, which is as soon as I move in, are there any noise ordinances I need to be aware of? Does this contract give me any outs if the city comes in and shuts me down or my neighbors complain? Like those are legit things worth the 500 bucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's also
0: good to just know, like from an attorney, like, who, like what you versus the landlord is responsible. Cause sometimes the landlord will try to push expenses off to you that contractually they are supposed to cover, but they know that you're not, that you don't know how to read the lease. And they're like, no, no, you can replace the HVAC. And I'm like, nope, that's actually your responsibility. And it says right here in the lease. So yeah, it's definitely worth it. And I made that mistake far too many times.
1: Yeah. Let's see other trends that we see. I mean, shiny object, shiny object syndrome is a real problem. It's a real syndrome that people have. Um, I can't tell you how many worthless pieces of equipment we see. And then we'll ask the clients, like, how did you, especially knowing now, like from the owner side, uh, it allows us to be more thorough. How are you using that piece of equipment? Did, is it generating more revenue for you? No, not really. Oh, those Atlas stones, really? They're they're just sitting there? I mean, we have our Atlas stones. They are outside of the gym. Our giant two tires. Free for anyone to steal. And people don't even want to steal it. My
0: My first thing is like, A, if you've got Atlas stones, get rid of those damn things. If you want to do that stuff, buy the Rogue Strongman sandbags and fill them up with sand. Sand is like... Basically free if you go to the beach. So do that. Do not buy those damn stones. They're a hazard. Um, just not to mention the like. Yes, uh, tear up your forearms. All gosh, yes, I, It's it's ridiculous. B- because if you do buy the sandbags, you will use them far more frequently, and you could maybe do some strongman stuff like that. But just don't don't do stones. It's a terrible idea.
1: Well, and it's one of those things too. I think. You just you have to always ask yourself the question which a lot of gym owners aren't doing, Is this expense going to be productive if I'm going to buy this equipment and I see how I'm going to earn additional revenue from it
0: mm-hmm. you
1: now I get there's a there's a base level of equipment that you need, and if you don't have it, your retention rates are crap because you're not providing a good service. I totally get that. I'm talking about the other stuff the shine even even ghd machines right just things that are kind of you see them in every gym but how often are they really used
0: i've been in very few gyms where like the that's a staple of their programming we've been as high as five and we're down to two and i'm considering going down to one like they're just real estate monsters they cost five to six hundred bucks at this point they take up space nobody uses them i'm like you'd be better off buying you know, setting off a couple months for a floor scrubber for that, you know, instead.
1: Yeah. Especially when you think about the value of every square foot, uh, you know, that that's, if you have three, that's two more, at least two more people Mm -hmm. you could fit into class, potentially thinking of that type of real estate. Um, yeah. So those are just some basic trends that we see.
0: Um, with regard to rent, have you guys, I don't know if you wrote about this, but I think you did write about this in one of your emails, but about trying to figure out like what the good, what's the algorithm for like square foot per member.
1: Yeah. Um, and there's other, like, I know Kalipa has some metrics on that. Brower has some metrics on yeah. that. Um, the general consensus I feel like is a hundred square feet to 125 square feet. If you're using a barbell.
0: Okay. Per member.
1: Per member. Okay. So, which is super cool to think about, like, you really need to understand your operational capacity. If you have, like, measure your floor space, divide it by 100 square feet, that's the most amount of members you could comfortably have in that class. And now, in my mind, if that number is higher than 15, now you have to consider, well, can I fit 30? Because if I can't go all the way up to 30, I really don't want one coach in charge of 20 people, especially mm-hmm. with CrossFit. Yeah. Like, if I get to 15, that's even – for our gym, 12, kind of where we're getting pretty uncomfortable. Um, and in the few classes that we have that might be a little bit that, almost 90% of the members are more than a couple years of experience. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I got a sidetrack. So you take that number, but now you know, okay, I can fit this many people for class. What try- is my – You there? Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Um, So how many people can I fit per class? I times that by the revenue that I make per class. I can know this is the max revenue I make per class. How many classes can I have? What are their ideal hours? You can literally back into effectively your max revenue possibility for your training classes.
0: And I think one of the other things people don't consider is it's always People are basing their, their consideration to expand on a couple hours in the day instead of saying, well, listen, we need a bigger space. I'm like, you do not need a bigger space if only two of your classes are overflowing. What you need to do is figure out how do you, A, fill those other classes first, and then B, potentially think about trying to fill every hour of the day before you do anything you know and there and there's some gyms that do this and i think it's literally just because geographically where they're located and they generally in their metropolitan areas so like new york boston those you're going to see gyms like that that have classes on the hour every hour because they have to because they have higher churn rate because it's just bigger denser population but there's no reason that you can't back your way into that in a place that isn't like that population dense there's plenty of people in every city so you should consider more class times how to get people in more classes before you ever consider expanding for sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, a problem we don't have in my gym, which I would love to have soon, is the idea that we have more interest in that class period than we have capacity to fit them in. But the thing is, the Orange Theories of the world have proven you just use, use their system. They have so many people who want to use their service. And they're requiring you to check in. And if you don't check in, they hit you with a fee because you just took a spot. And that's on top of your normal membership. You can have the confidence if you have those classes, that's going to happen to you as well. Like people will figure it out. And if not, you have people drop off. That's fine. But there's nothing wrong with having that type of like model yeah um, and you don't have
0: to do it for all of your classes. you can literally set no. up for just your just your high volume class would be like yeah. for, for us it would be like maybe four and five p m we'd be like, hey, for four and five p m guys you need to register for the class first otherwise you're not getting in
1: yep exactly uh instead of just oh my eight a m class is really full you know we should probably we should move to a different location <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I
0: don't think so. Or or do you do? I mean, there's so many ways to do that. To like, how can you get more revenue? Could you turn maybe your max capacity is 15? Could you split that and then maybe push to 30 in a 90 minute window versus or a two hour window instead of 15 people in a one hour window? You know, like right.
1: It's, it's and just, these are the questions they should ask themselves, right? Because I think every gym with where they're located and whatever are going to be able to have different answers to that. Yeah. But that's what they should do. They should ask themselves good questions so they can give themselves good answers.
0: So I know I was, I was actually on a phone call with a, uh, a couple of gym owners earlier today. And so, so you get into profit first, it seems com- incredibly overwhelming. You're like, I got to set up more bank accounts. I got to do percentage math. And like, this is, this is bugging me out. Um, and I'm not sure I do a great job of explaining it, but he does talk about it. Michael does talk about it in the book about like, don't overshoot those percentages at first, because then what you end up is breaking you end up breaking the rules and not actually fixing the behavior problem. So what I'm kind of referring to is let's say you figure out you're operating at 94% and you're like, you know what? I want a 6% uh, profit margin <laughs> like on day one. I'm like, so that's what I'm going to set in place. And then that doesn't work because I haven't had time to fix the problems. And now I'm just stealing from all these bank accounts and then doing the same shit, but with just more bank accounts now. Um, so I think I started with just 1%. Yep.
1: And
0: it's because if you feel- keep
1: doing that for a couple months, You're going to give up.
0: Yes. And you're like, this doesn't work. And I'm like, no, no, you did it wrong. You know? Um, So how do you, how do you try to on-ramp people into the, uh, because I'm so far removed from the on-ramp portion of it. Like I honestly Uh don't remember.
1: No, it's good. Um, And I think especially for CrossFit, affiliate owners are going to understand this better than even other micro gym owners because of the importance we put on safety and teaching the proper movements before we let them go wild. It's no different when you have someone comes in who maybe that doesn't have a full air squat. You're not going to really teach them an overhead squat. You're not going to teach them a snatch because that would go too far. It's unsafe. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same issue with this. And so the idea is, you know, we're going to set the bar low with the member. Let's get you to a full depth air squat. Let's just strengthen stuff before we start putting you in weird, awkward positions Financially, we're, we're doing the same. So we recommend the profit account with just 1%. Mm-hmm. That's it. It doesn't matter how, whatever the assessment is showing, if people aren't in the habit of it yet, let's just set aside one, 1% for profit. And even you know if you're starting a 94% operating expense and we know we need to get you down to 40, we're not doing that in a quarter. We're not even doing that in an 18-month period.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We do, I believe you can find 10% of expenses cut and oh,
0: yeah and this is what i yeah. yeah this is what i had like i tell people all the time i'm like when i first came in mandy and i were going back and forth about 5 dollar expenses and i'm like if you're not doing that you're not doing your due diligence on reducing your overhead as much as possible and when I, and when he says like only necessities It means like literally if you don't need it to operate the business, then you get rid of it. It means no paid music services, like none of that shit. Like your your members are going to have commercials in their music, I'm sorry.
1: Yep, turn on the freaking radio, it'll be okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we start at 1%, but then we do like to take an initial big leap at expenses and say, let's try to find that 10% immediately. But then once we find that 10%, then it's much slower. Like, let's do two to 3%, maybe let's play with it a little bit. Let's not put pressure on you because yeah, if you don't have the money in your operating expense account and you didn't do it the right way, you are going to take from your profit account. You are going to take from your tax account. Like instead of knowing you're going to do that, let's just leave those percentages in your operating expense account for a little bit until we can get this habit going. And of course, the whole time we're relentless on cutting the expenses. Uh, Because the beauty is once you cut the expenses, then you really know, well, maybe it's a shovel problem. Like, I literally just don't have a big enough shovel. I don't have enough members. Uh, I really do need more income as well. So it's like I am lean. Like with ESL, where my gym, we are as lean as we can possibly be without cutting classes, without, you know, ruining member experience. We just, we have too big of a space. That's the problem. These guys moved from a 1,500 square foot facility to 6,000, hoping that the free six months of rent that they negotiated so proudly, not knowing that that's what they do yeah. <laughs> to get you in, that the six months wasn't going to be enough for them to you know, quadruple their membership base. Yeah. So Now we're stuck in a bad decision for the previous owners trying to fill the space. We just literally need more members at this point. But We so- would never have known that if we hadn't cut expenses first.
0: So, um, what are some of the like the weird expenses? Like, if somebody's listening to this, they're like, "No, we're running lean." Like, but you guys look at it and you're like, "You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this."
1: You know, honestly, your music services, um, yeah, that's a big one. I can't tell you how many gyms we see that have multiple <laughs> services that they're paying for.
0: I, it's nuts. Um I think we had 4 when we did it I was like oh my god and like by the way there's good free ones out there like if you can go on SoundCloud and get one hour playlists like like at no cost you can get on Fit Radio it's free like you do not need to pay Spotify premium I'm sorry you just don't and if you don't have a profit margin then you sure as shit don't need
1: Spotify premium Yeah totally um CRMs I uh you know if this one's tricky because I get when you switch a CRM if you didn't handle the onboarding of your client the right way, you're gonna to have to get new payment information. And you are going to lose members when that happens. I mean, I actually was speaking to an F45 franchise person who has four, three locations in the area over here. Um, and they forced her to switch CRMs, because they're a franchise. She lost, she lost like 50 members or something. Oh, that's the, a lot! Wow. Yeah. Anyways, um, I would just look at your CRM costs. If there's a way for you to reduce that, do it. If there's a way for you to switch, if it makes sense, I don't feel like there's any strong service out there. There's like this is for sure the go-to CRM for the micro gym space.
0: The, that's. I think they're all. They're,
1: they're all pros and cons.
0: They're all. They're, yeah, they're all basically the same. Some of them have different. You know pros and cons but like and at the end of the day they all pitch their lowest paid service too so like <laughs> oh this one's cheaper i'm like yeah but that's you can't actually do anything with that the lowest one like that one is literally just nothing but when you add it up uh a lot of them like they're basically the same and it's just kind of like which one are you most comfortable with like just use it you got to use one and then figure out other ways like maybe you don't want to pay three to four percent on transactions like maybe you bring everybody in on ach to like reduce that cost or something like that but like there's always ways to try to cut that stuff down
1: yeah and on that note too um merchant processing fees is a big one we're with zen planner and if you don't do this step to make yourself what they call pci compliant um which if you're not familiar with that world would even be aware that you have to look for it are hitting you 24.99 a month because you're a non-pci compliant and all you have to do is answer a couple. I mean, I shouldn't say a couple. It's about an hour worth of questions you have to freaking answer. But uh, they'll take off that fee once you've answered those damn questions. Huh. Uh, merchant processing is a problem you know, with, when it comes to hidden expenses.
0: Yeah, I, I figured it out. I, I pay about twelve grand a year in merchant processing fees. Yeah. It's a lot.
1: Yeah, for my tax firm, it's psychotic.
0: I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs>
1: Uh, all in the name of convenience. So yeah, if if you're okay with the ACH, which unfortunately takes about seven days from the day you process it to actually hit your bank account, uh, your fees on that are so small. Yeah. Um, so there's some there. Uh, what other expenses do we see there? Well, here's the way I look at it. And maybe this will help as a general guideline so the gym owners can take this and, maybe have an action item for themselves. Normally, if you ask an accountant this question, they're going to tell you, hey, well, you should focus on fixed expenses and your variable expenses because then it helps you understand. It. Blah, 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 blah blah I give you permission as an accountant to throw those two terms out of your head and never remember them again because it's <laughs> worthless. It's accounting jargon. that doesn't help you make better decisions. I, I don't care if my rent expense is the same every month. I have to pay it. What I do care about, though, is is my rent expense productive or not productive? Those are the two classifications gym owners should be focusing on. Productive, not productive. And it can be as simple as that. In the book, I have an entire chapter where we go over analyzing expenses. And I list out like nine questions that they can ask about every single expense. And if they're honest with themselves to really get down to the answer of, you no, know, this is bringing value to my members, it is adding revenue blah blah blah. But that they really should just go through every expense. I mean, programming, for example. If you're not profitable,
0: you should you, not be pro you should not be paying for programming.
1: You should not be paying for programming. Right.
0: That's 200 bucks. So, 2400 bucks a year, you know, for programming. So, if you're not running a profit margin, those are the things that is not necessary. Like figure out how to write programming. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, and guess what? There's so much material out there anyways, it wouldn't be that hard. Here's one for you,
0: (laughs) (laughs) CrossFit.com.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, you're going to have members who complain. Guess what? It doesn't matter what programming you do. You're always going to have members who complain about it. Always. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. Even today, at the workout today, like, we did this clean and jerk thing, we're on NC Fit yep. and is one of their standard workouts where it's every thirty seconds you do a clean and yep. jerk. We did that yesterday. Today's workout was like max power cleans. I'm like <laughs> Dude, if you do if you program that workout in the clean jerk forty reps in twenty minutes, don't give me cleans of anything for at least a week. <laughs> you know, but like, you, you still do it. you do it and you work out and you're great because you have more workouts that you enjoy. And you yeah don't like yeah. that's one thing. This is a side note. This is one thing I learned about gym ownership that I feel for you gym owners, and it, I think this is why it's super important to have voices like you in the industry because I have never experienced a scenario where members think they know so freaking much about how to run your business. Never once as an accounting firm did I have a client come up to me and say, Hey, you know what? I think you should uh, run your tax from this way. Never. <laughs> but in the eight months I've been an affiliate owner, it's like a weekly thing. Hey, yeah. I got a suggestion for you. Yeah. I bet you do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. It's one of those things where like I literally don't even entertain that conversation anymore. I'm like, it's, 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 it's like somebody who, you know, Filed for bankruptcy trying to give me financial advice. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you just want to do that, which I'm fine. If we just have the conversation about you want to do that, then I'm good. Maybe I'll try to fit it in there, but you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I but get you it. You
1: have your own money at risk. Yes. How about you let me make the, if you think it's a bad decision, great. I'm going to own that because it's my money.
0: Yeah. Oh, all right. So, the other thing on there is, and we, we've kind of gone back and forth in there, is, this is one that I think is super important because this is the one that always kind of, so this one and affiliate fees and your insurance premium, which is like taxes, affiliate fee, insurance premium. Even though we all know that's coming every year, I'm like, fuck, I got to pay that insurance premium. So, and it's the same thing with taxes. Like it's, and this is a mindset shift that I had to make at some point, which is like, I want to have to pay taxes because that means I made money. Now all I want to do is figure out how not to pay so much in taxes. Right. But the whole comment about like, that's a tax write-off. And I'm like, you don't know. It's like the scene from, <laughs> from Princess Bride. And he's like, you keep saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> he's like, you just shouldn't be talking about tax write-offs unless your accountant is like, listen, you need to burn $20,000 by the end of the year. Otherwise, the, the Uncle Sam's coming to get it from you. How much money should people be setting aside roughly for taxes?
1: Um, So we do have a new table. If you're familiar with the Profit First book, he studied um, thousands of businesses across hundreds of industries. The benefit of having a book specifically for microgyms is I was able to just study microgyms and found the financially fit ones. And so we have a new table that has those percentages in them. Okay. And um, five to ten percent.
0: Okay. Yeah. We and did, I would we even say
1: ten percent is conservative. Okay. Like you'll have money left over if you save most for most gym owners. If if they save ten percent, there's money left over at the end of the year to distribute to themselves.
0: And so in, in in my experience too, you. It's gonna. I think at least it. It's gonna take you a couple years to catch up to that where you're ahead, right? So like if you're right. not doing this before, you're gonna be behind. So if if year one or year two you're doing this, you don't have enough to cover it the following year. That's because you're still catching up from years of like not having enough money. So like you'll be setting aside essentially last year's taxes this year and yep. trying to catch up. So it that's will right. take you some time for that to unfold. But I think it took us three years before I got to the point where. Where I was like, hey, how much are we going to owe? And I got the number, and the number we had set aside was significantly larger than that. And I was like, oh shit, we have so much money. Uh, And that is when those, and I was like, well, hey, how much of this can I use? Because that was just tax money that I didn't count on having. That's right, all of it. In order to not have to pay any. So then she was like, all of it. And I was like, okay, cool. So it was like ski ergs, barbells, all the stuff. And then I got a tax return after that because, but I had planned for all of it. Right. I was prepared to pay a significant amount of taxes, but didn't have to because there was a plan in place. Um, but we used 10 for a long time, and, but it took about three years before that was over, like yeah. before, before it was that. Um, so that's a big one is just setting aside the taxes. And I took his advice in the, uh, in the book, which is like you need to label that account like either not your money or government's money. Yeah. Otherwise, like you'll just take from it.
1: What did you label it?
0: Uh, not your money.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that better because um, when he says that, I'm like, no, I refuse to say that the, uh, this is the government's money. <laughs> it's my money and I am agreeing to pay the taxes. But yeah, I just... Yeah.
0: No, I would agree. Yeah. There's, uh, and there's two other things I want to get into. So this one is, and obviously this one I think is a little bit dependent on how you run your business, but like there's all this going back and forth about... W-2 versus 1099. And I know where you stand on this, but I want, I want you to elaborate on that because uh, I don't want to speak for
1: you on that. Okay, good. So I feel like there's been two camps in the micro gym industry maybe before I was introduced to it and got involved. And it was either coaches are always W-2 or coaches are always independent contractors. And the reality is, is neither one of those are correct. Coaches are always what they are. Now um, there are 24 factors that the IRS looks at when they make a determination to see if the coach is truly independent or if they should be a W-2 person. And you have to look at those factors. You also have to look at your state rules. Uh, California just last year passed a bill or law. It's law now. Um, basically there's no such thing as an independent contractor in the state of California anymore. It just, yep. Damn. I mean, it's, it'd be a rarely rare situation, but Uber, Uber had a court case come against them and they basically said, well, if what the contractor's doing is the primary source of revenue for the business, then it can't be an independent contractor. They have to be employees. Great. Well, what that means is if you're in California, your coaches have to be W2. You have to be compliant. It's um, a
0: significant expense that you, if you were w, if you were ten ninety nine coming your way, like on payroll
1: tax. You have to add basically eleven percent, and if you're in California, probably twelve percent. So if I a hundred dollars is really $112, one hundred twelve dollars, thousand dollars is really whatever that is, hundred whatever. Yeah. But anyways, so but the way I like to explain it is, if you want your coaches to be independent contractors and the state law allow it. I think both parties are better off with that scenario. The gym owner pays less payroll tax. And now the coach as an independent contractor can take advantage of the exact same tax deductions you as the owner get to take advantage of. And that's the important
0: part. Yeah. Because a lot of, a lot of the coaches are like, well, you just don't want to pay payroll taxes. And I'm like, well, yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I fucking don't. Um, and, but you get a benefit as well. And that's where I think people will miss the boat on that. They're just like, oh, this is just for you. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's equally as much for me as it is for you.
1: Yeah. And with tax reform of 2018, in the past, if you were W-2, you could claim these things called unreimbursed employee expenses as a tax deduction, as an employee. That only exists now if you're military, and it's only related to your military stuff. Huh, okay. So that makes being an independent contractor that much more attractive because your miles driving to the gym, your workout clothes, the supplements you take to stay healthy so that you can actually coach classes, your L1s, your cell phone, so that you can be in contact with the business that's contracting with you and the clients that you serve. All of those are write-offs. The corporate rent strategy that you mentioned about, Mm -hmm. um, those are things that a coach can even take advantage of. So we, if a coach makes like fifteen grand or less, honestly, you could probably deduct almost. All you could find enough expenses so you don't pay any tax. But if you're W two on fifteen thousand, you're paying your income tax on that. And now, and
0: I think where a lot of people make this mistake, or coaches, they think that like write offs means that I have to spend all of the money. I'm like, no, no, there is inherent kind of expenses, if you will, that if you're just tracking them, all you're doing is reducing your taxable income. And I think there's like this weird disconnect there. They think, well, I'm like, well, I mean, that just means I have to spend more of my money. I'm like, no, no, no. if all things remain equal and you continue doing exactly what you're doing, you just need to categorize these things appropriately because now they come off the top end. And instead of paying, instead of having 50 grand in taxable income, now you have like, 20 grand in taxable income which is a far lower tax bill for you to pay
1: yeah even with us even with you having to pay the self-employment tax that you were freaking out about uh that that's exactly right we're just talking about expenses that you're already probably taking on
0: yeah yeah your travel you your phone bill if you're doing different stuff like that like all those things are you they're they're deductible in your as a 1099 where again what you said if you're if you're a w-2 like you're just paying taxes like you're paying 15, on the gross
1: 000. amount yeah yep.
0: 15 20 percent right off the top just taken um yeah. oh and so, so let's i just, just so ahead. i just
1: believe that if if both parties can get on board with that you can create the relationship in such a way that they can be independent and both can benefit where will
0: find those 24 factors so they can look at them do you know
1: um, they, they could just email me. I'm sure it's, we have a, we've done a ton of blogs. We even have yeah. a checklist we created. Yep. Um, if they just want to email me like 24 point checklist, we'll, we'll email it to them. Okay. Cause we, cause what we did is we took the 24 points and we rewrote it to help the gym owner understand. If you want your coach to be a contractor, this is how this factor relates to that.
0: Okay. Got it.
1: And they can literally just go down and call them. Yes. No, because the thing is too people think well i have one factor that they are probably employees but i have 23 that say they're contractors yeah it's it's not just it's not an all or nothing it's definitely a case-by-case scenario yeah
0: and and the idea is for like you the gym owner and the coaches to keep the majority of your money like that's the goal
1: that's all we're trying to do
0: that's the goal that's That's the the goal. goal Um, so talk a little bit more about the corporate rent, because even though I think this is like now commonly known and understood when I tell people that like their, their brains explode, they're like, wait, what?
1: Yeah. Shockingly, it's still not as commonly known as you would think. Um, so uh, the way I've been describing it lately is because this people understand it better this way on the East coast, they call it the Augusta rule because of the masters golf tournament. Okay it happens in Augusta, Georgia every year. And what happens is a city of like 250,000 people quadruples for the course of uh, the master's tournament. Mm -hmm. And all these people have really nice houses and they're like, Hey, how do I rent my house? And because they're wealthy, I'm sure they've paid lobbyists, which is why we call it the Augusta rule. Maybe they're the ones who created this tax rule that I'll get into, but Basically, it's how do I get rental income off this and not have to actually pay any income tax on this income? Well, they they pulled it off, and because they pulled it off, and it's now in the tax code. As business owners, we can benefit from the same tax deduction. So here it is: the tax rule is, if you have a rental property, you rent it less than 14 days during the year, you are not required to claim rental income. If you have income. Less than 14 days rented, not required to claim income. It means it doesn't show up anywhere on your tax returns. Well, businesses have meetings. They rent spaces. They rent hotels. They rent convention centers. Well, you, as a business owner, you should have at least a monthly meeting anyways mm-hmm. with the owners, even if it's just you, to have a strategy meeting. That's good business principles. Yep. So we have the business Rent from you as an individual, your living space. Mm -hmm. One day per month. That's 12. We're under the 14-day rule. Yep. So any income you make off of that personally, you don't have to report it anywhere. But because it's common business principle, that makes it ordinary and necessary, which are the two stupid words the tax code uses to say something can be expensed. So your business takes a rent expense. You don't pick it up as rental income. What we've effectively done is expense a distribution to your pocket and you don't have to pay any, any tax on that
0: for $15,000 in case anybody hasn't done the math on that. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that was one that I was like, Oh my God. You know? And then, um, And it works, right? Like, so like we'll do and if you haven't guys haven't listened to the to the podcast on that we did on meetings, like go listen to that and just do it at your apartment or do it at your house, like whatever. It doesn't matter. But like you can take advantage of this and reduce your tax liability and get an expense, which if you want to get more in detail, talk to John. But like that's a huge plus to you. Um and then there's another one. So we talked about corporate rent, we talked about the taxes. Um, and then the other one I want to dig into, cause I know you added this in there as well is the equipment account that you recommend that people do, because this is a recurring cost that we're going to have to deal with as a gym owner.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt, right? You, uh, you might be lucky in one year you don't have a single repair you have to do, but there was still wear and tear on your equipment. It will have to be replaced. And so we, um, we have found it's about 5% is what financially fit gyms are putting aside of their income. And we're saying, let's be proactive with that expense instead of waiting. Like right now, our gym is not profitable. So we're using the hope and pray method, which is terrible. That's a terrible method to use. I hope that rower doesn't break down because when it does, I have to come out of pocket. I have put money into the business to fix it or to replace it. Why do that? Don't do that. If the profitability, set aside 5% like every month or twice a month as I recommend, and now you're gonna build this reserve so that as the needs come up, you have cash already available for it. And what I love about the equipment account, you will probably get to the point where you'll have more money in that account than you know you need. It's like, look, even if all my pieces of equipment broke down, I don't need this much money here. Guess what? That's your money now. Yeah. You want to take whatever it as you a. Want with it. You want to take a distribution, spend it on yourself? Great. You want to go on a great trip? Awesome. You buy the shiny object now? Go for it because you can do that without affecting your operations or your profitability. You want so, to do a crazy marketing campaign or an event, whatever. Like Use that money for whatever the hell you want when it gets too big. It's awesome. Or
0: if you, or if you have this crazy list, um, and we saw that at CrossFit Brave when we were in Raleigh last week they have a gym wish list that's built by the members. Awesome. So basically you can put that in there. I know exactly what all those things cost. And now I can figure out exactly when I'm going to purchase either any one of those items. Right. So I just go down the list. I'm like, well, that only costs 200 bucks. I'm like, we can do that next month if I'm setting aside 5%. Because when I started doing this like a couple years ago and I got it as high as 9%, just this was before we expanded. I just had it in there and I was like, all right, we're just going to start grinding away at some things that we want to get to. And what it does is it gets you in the mindset of reinvesting into your business instead of like trying to keep everything. And it's just like, Hey, if I'm going to spend this much on, it doesn't always have to be equipment. It can be upgrading your bathrooms or like painting the walls or like that, you know, like all that stuff that needs to be done. If we're going to compete with some of these F45s and orange theories, like you need to beautify your space and that equipment can, i label it equipment and maintenance because it might, it might be equipment one month and it might be maintenance the next month. So it doesn't always have to be one or the other, but that was one of those things where it wasn't, I wasn't caught off guard ever. If something broke, I might not be able to cover it that month, but I'm like, okay, based on what we're setting aside, I'll get it fixed in the next 45 days. It's not a big deal. Yep. And it's just a habit. Um, the, there was something else I wanted to ask you too. Anything other than some of the the tax distribution and the uh, and the um, equipment account that's like significantly different that you guys put together? Yeah, I'm the, going to elaborate on all of it, but I'm just curious.
1: No, the biggest other change is we have we want you to add a team member expense bucket.
0: Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's I mean, team member expense and rent are your two largest expenses. Mm-hmm. We need to account for those, but we like the team member expense because when we were running this based on the old model, every single time we did an assessment, we had to ask 500 questions. Like, how do you pay your coaches? Oh, you pay them four ninths Oh, you pay them a flat fee. Oh, you do both. Oh, you pay them wage. There's like eight or nine different compensation models I've come across. Mm -hmm. And every time we had to figure out based on the original definition, okay, well, this is going to come out of real revenue and this needs to be operating expense and this. And I'm, literally as I'm typing the chapter up on how we've done this analysis, I am like four pages in to just explaining how a gym owner can get this right with all these different exceptions. And I'm, I'm like rereading it. And I'm just like, this is brain damage. Like I don't even want to read this and I'm in love with numbers. My gym owner who I'm trying to serve is not going to feel served. So I'm like, you know what? Forget it. We're going to take that out of the real revenue calculation. We're going to give it it a separate account and then we'll just analyze gyms based on that data. And what we found, and so we found um, 25% is what most financially fit gyms are running at regardless of revenue size. Uh, If, if you're at 25%, you are solid. Um, We know other and when models. you're saying, and when you're
0: saying member ex, or uh, team member expense, essentially you're just talking like your, what's your payroll figure, correct?
1: Payroll, all payroll, not just coaches. If you have a front desk person, all that stuff. Okay. Um, we know other models that recommend 44%. And so on, a, and we think that's also pretty healthy. So we just in general say 25
0: to 44%. Yeah. We're like 40. We're like, yeah. 40. we're 25% great, rent and then 40% for payroll.
1: Yeah. That, awesome. Um, what I love about the epiphany that happened is that this, doing it this way and adding this one step, which is if you're the owner and you're coaching a class, that specific pay for the class comes out of the team member expense bucket. Okay. It's not owner's pay. Like, yes, it goes to your pocket and you're the owner. But you have to pay yourself for coaching classes out of the team member bucket because that's how you realize when you can start stepping away from coaching the classes that you're coaching. Oh, got so it. If you're not paying yourself for that, you don't know if you're in the healthy range or not. And so I it, see what you're it saying. really simplified – So you have to fit, what
0: you're saying is, so I was having a hard time unpacking that because I was like, just because I'm, I I guess I'm a little bit past that. Um, But what you're saying is like, what does it cost me to run this business if I never coached a class? Yep. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, well, I don't pay myself for class anymore because I pay myself a set percentage of revenue at this point. Right. Yeah. But I don't have to coach any class if I don't want to. You
1: know, not Exactly but some owners have to exactly and so some, that's where i was
0: that's where the confusion was yep got
1: it yeah some owners have stepped out and they shouldn't have right. they didn't, yeah. can't afford for them to replace themselves but because they don't have the simplicity of seeing that yet just by transferring the money they they made the decision without all the data
0: well and the other thing is if you're doing it this way and and this is uh again like you might have to resort to this in like hard times but if you, if that is your payroll and you don't coach any classes, you will, you know, it's a real quick way to get some money back, start coaching more classes again, where it's just like, oh, again, it's all, it's all, if I look at it this way. It's all about like having the ability to do that in the event that you need to, it's just like, Hey, if I need to pull back, I don't know if you pay, if you, let's say you pay on average 25 bucks a class and you have 135 classes a month and you need to pull back 50% of them and you're going to coach 70, you know? You just pulled back almost two grand back into your pocket. Now, do you want to coach 75 classes a month? Probably not, but you might need to, right? So then it's just, okay, cool. Let me eliminate $1,750 worth of expenses and get back in there because that can be the difference between like folding your business and not folding your right. business. You know? And at least
1: gives you enough time to survive exactly. and figure out what's going on.
0: Exactly. So I agree. That's cool. Um, anything else, anybody, these guys should know about either the book or any of that stuff.
1: Uh, no, I mean, you can pre-order it now. If you Google profit for micro jams, it's on Amazon. Um, if you guys, the other
0: thing is, uh, if you guys haven't done, uh, sign up for the email because he sends out some really cool emails that have like a ton of information in there. And what I appreciate about you guys is you guys are full on board with the content train. So like you guys put out and provided me a ton of value before I ever paid for your services. So like I took a lot of that advice. The concepts made sense because I'm a gym owner. And and so if you guys are unsure about it, like you don't have to go in there immediately. And then, like I said, they do offer like a consulting fee. And do you guys still do that, John?
1: Yeah, we do consulting.
0: Yeah. So it's basically, um, I don't know if it still works this way, but basically I would do like a quarterly call and I don't remember what the cost was, but basically you guys would do a quick run through of what we had going on, and then give me some kind of like tax advice, essentially, and that saved me a bunch of money before I ever started having you guys do my books. And then that that eventually kind of transformed into like, okay, well now we work full full time with those yeah. guys. So um, there's ways you don't have to go uh, all the way in, but um, dude, this is great. I think there's a ton of good stuff in here. Uh, if people need to get a hold of you guys, what's the best way to get a hold of you know Insight Tax?
1: Um, our website insighttax.com. You can just contact us. People can always email me directly, john at Where We're just happy to help. Um, we, it's funny. So one of The last thing that I'll say to you, one thing I learned when I wrote the book is this idea of a core message. You need not have a core message in your book. And surprisingly, like making money or keeping your money is the core message of my book the core message is, is that as a gym owner, you deserve to be profitable because that's the biggest problem I have, I see in the industry is we don't need gym owners falling on the swords. What you do, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but you are saving humanity. Can you imagine if everybody came to your gym, the amount of what their health does to the world, how it cleans up the insurance world, how it gets rid of like corrupt pharmaceutical, I mean, is this sky's the limit when people are healthier. And so that's the main message of my book. And that's what I'm working towards is I want gym owners to know they deserve to be profitable so that they don't feel guilty when they get it and self-sabotage. So anything that we can do, the book is just part of that. Reach out us. We are happy to help. Sure, we're in business. And if it gets to the point, we need to tell you we have to charge you for it. We'll let you know. Yeah. But we're happy to help.
0: Yeah, it's um. I can't recommend John and his team at Insight Tax like they've they've always been Johnny on the spot for me, uh, even when I've like handed them some messes sometimes on occasion. Um, but they help me work through that stuff, and and I think the real takeaway for, is this is a learning process for anybody that's going to do this. Like, it's very much a, a team issue, right? So it's not just like you hire John and insight tax and they, and they solve all the problems for you. Like they're basically there to help you keep accountable, answer questions you have, but you're still going to be the one who has to execute this on that 10 and 25 rule. Like you still need to understand the process so that you can execute it and get yourself to a point, um, where you are profitable, because that is going to allow you to run an awesome gym. That's going to be around for years to come. So, um, Dude, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to the book. I will definitely be buying it. And if if you guys are not gonna buy it, you should um, because you're gonna learn a lot. And I think the biggest thing that was for me John was like, it just changed my frame of reference for how I looked at everything. Like yeah. once I read that book, I was just like, oh, I've never looked at things like that before. But now I look at it completely different. So that's the big takeaway for anybody who's not done a deep dive into this stuff. You, uh, you absolutely will not regret it. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Awesome, brother. I appreciate it. This has been uh, fantastic. And if you guys have questions, uh, reach out to John, or if you just want to reach out to us, we can do a handoff for you, but uh, we will see you guys next time.
1: Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did one more time, please leave us a review on Apple podcast and send us any feedback you have to at best hour of their day on Instagram and best hour of their day at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email, we appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.